Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Today, we're speaking with Paul Hammer. Paul is a senior managing director and co-founder of Isa Capital Group. This is a private merchant bank specializing in a wide variety of activities, including merchants and acquisitions, project finance, sourcing, and structuring private debt and equity capital. Paul was also the founder of Navigator Capital Group, a private merchant bank. He served as the president of Liberty Company Financial and has been an investment banker in New York and DC. Paul received his MBA from the University of Cambridge Judge Business School. He also holds a Bachelor of Business Administration, magna cum laude, from the University of Texas at Austin. Welcome, Paul, and thank you for giving us your time. Thank you for having me. So, Paul, you've had a long, successful career in finance. Was finance always on your career's radar, or did you stumble upon it? Uh, it's a good question, actually. It was a stumble, frankly. Um, I, uh, I wanted to uh, pick something that would uh, be the hardest, uh, theoretically the hardest job I could get. And um, by default, uh, being from Texas, everybody wanted you to be a, uh, uh, a Texas oil guy. And um, frankly, this was the only thing that could, uh, could be a little bit of a stretch. So no, I, I didn't have a master plan there. So, I mean, what kind of got you into finance in a sense? I mean, you, you said you didn't want to be uh, an oil and gas kind of guy, but, you know, why, why finance? And what was that draw, that initial draw? So that was, that was easy. Uh, finance was, to me, a problem-solving exercise, always a problem-solving exercise. And, um, but within the context of something other than math, math was clearly important uh, as a baseline, but um, what, what I was taught, University of Texas is quite good at finance in that they uh, teach highly quantitative maths. However, they put that in the context of what does it really mean to build a business. And so yeah, that's, that's frankly been part of uh, my personal and professional career uh, throughout the entirety. And being able to put these things in context to where uh, normal operating CEOs care about them. And that's a challenge, frankly, in, in any sort of uh, corporate finance or strategic advisory business. Paul, you've worked in some of the top financial companies in New York and D.C. and then co-founded two private merchant banks. Looking back on your career, was this transition a series of small steps leading to where you are now, or was there this big eureka moment? Well, uh, you know, I think, let me do this. Let me back up a second. I think the, the, one of the things I find um, most commonly uh, mistaken by uh, some of the folks who are coming out of MBA school or who are looking to change careers, whether they've done their MBA or not already, is really uh, getting the vernacular right. There's a lot of things in our world that are just not known to the other, uh, um, the other professions. Uh, for example, in, in, when you say investment banking, you, have to, you can't just say investment banking. You have to go a little deeper. Do you mean public versus private? Do you mean strategic advisory or a single product? Do you mean serving big companies, <clears throat> one billion plus, let's say, or small companies? Do you mean uh, the academic angle of it, <clears throat> or the daily business challenges? And, and I think that you know, extremely important uh, when people are giving advice to give you know the right advice, not just platitudes and things they can read on on, on YouTube TED talks. Uh, and so. <clears throat> You have to, in finance, you have to understand the public markets extremely well, regardless of what you do, because theoretically they serve as sort of a benchmark of the widest group of people saying, this is, this is what things are. 
right? And that's just, if you don't believe that, you shouldn't be in finance. But that, that you need to understand that. And then you need to understand why things move and how they change. That is fundamental finance. However, once you're actually working and not studying, then the key is, okay, where do you want to live in that spectrum of public versus private? For example, we don't do any public deals, none, only private. Second, we don't pitch a particular product. There are, in large shops, there are guys who pitch just debt, which sits at one slice of the capital structure. We don't at all. We don't care. We only deal with smaller companies where we work in the middle market. The middle market in most uh, countries is massive. It normally makes up 75% or so of the companies. Um, and uh, it, however you measure it, not by market cap, of course, because most of them are not public, but by people, jobs, revenue, et cetera. Uh, and, and then ultimately those things boil down into what is the daily challenges and what are the daily t challenges of that uh, focus versus sort of being a big picture uh, challenges of, of, of living within Morgan Stanley, you know, 150,000 people, which is where I began my career. So uh, it was 180 degree opposite of currently what I uh, am doing and what I've been doing over the last 15 years. Uh, we deal in private companies only. We deal in uh middle market or SMEs, as sometimes they're called, and we deal in the strategic advisory realm, not in a single product. So in other words, we do whatever it takes to build the company at the CEO and board level, period. Everything that can relate to corporate actions, okay? And that's very different. That mindset is extremely different, especially for young folks or people who are changing careers, because normally they have the complete wrong impression. They, they, they look at it as a movie-type thing, or they look at it as a trading floor-type thing. Most of the market, most of the world does not operate that way. Most of the market is CEOs and their teams and or boards struggling through the daily business challenges that they have. Every move they make, however, that's meaningful, will impact normally the corporate finance aspect of the business, the business building process is intellectually interesting and fundamentally critical to the success of any business. A lot of people, you know, you can talk, there's many disciplines in a corporation, right? There's sales, there's marketing, there's technology, there's HR, there's lots of different uh, verticals. And they are all filtering upward into something that either will make sense or will not make sense. But what I can tell you is that all of it, no matter how big or small the company is, certainly it gets diluted the bigger it is, each individual action. But all of it needs to be viewed within the spectrum of how does this propel our business forward. It's very strategic in that regard. And then the second element is how does it fit within our existing financial framework? Ultimately, if a company doesn't make money, I don't care what their mandate is or how nice or fuzzy their ethos is, people will not be employed and the company will go away, period. So – no platitude will create jobs ultimately if they are not fundamentally supported by a sound business model. That just not going to happen. Yeah, Paul, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I get a lot of candidates who say that they're interested in finance or interested in a career in finance, and it's really difficult to get them to talk beyond just that one word, what finance really means. Um, you talked a, bit, a lot about you know, that kind of understanding the business or understanding the motivations behind CEOs. Um, and one thing that I do encounter when I speak to people coming from a finance background, especially one in you know one of those big banks that you mentioned, is that increasingly their their kind of roles become very 
very uh, atomized, you know, almost very, very narrow in focus. So in a way, um, people come on the MBA trying to get that kind of general management knowledge. Was that your motivations for doing an MBA since you were already in finance before the MBA? Yeah, I was I was lucky. I, I had, because I'd spent some time uh, at a merchant bank boutique, I had the experience of being shoulder to shoulder uh, far too young uh, with new CEO, uh, pardon me, with, with CEOs who were running their businesses. And, you know, I was way beyond my depth. Uh, however, that gave me a lot of vision in, into what the real world did look like outside of the atomization of your tiny little niche. Okay. Because, I mean, I can tell you, it doesn't matter how smart the CEO is, they don't really want you to tell them some academic theory about 10 basis points different between this and that. They don't care. They want a much broader thinking. How do these things fit in? How long is this transaction going to take? What are the risks of this transaction to this other part of the business? Should we hire political PR people because this business happens to be owned by uh, one of XYZ's nearby? Do we need to worry about uh, a government regulation that's coming down the pipe that could potentially affect this? Should we run a, a big auction, uh, theoretically getting more people involved and a better price, or an individual only, one quiet private one-to-one deal, which theoretically could be faster, but would risk potentially not having any options. Those are the things they care about, right? You don't learn that stuff through academia. You learn that through listening to other people who have different viewpoints, guys in Ecuador and China and Africa and the UK and the US all have the same fundamental five, 10, let's call it, let's call it five, human nature elements which seep into and become critical to any corporate action. Any corporate action, joint venture, selling your company, selling a part of your company, taking on some kind of finance, it's the rubber hits the road. And so what I wanted was to seek out those people in an environment where I could learn from them honestly. Yeah, because it's not like you can have a beer over at a bar with your buddy and, and sort of learn these things. It's something you really have to be honestly put in, honestly, without the sort of facade of I'm great or I'm you know this or that. But the honest discussion of how things truly work over in your neck of the woods, you know, your your slice of the of the business building pie, and that's what I wanted. That's I'm very happy about what Cambridge gave me in that regard. I, I, that's why I didn't want to go to Wharton. Why, why would I want to go meet a bunch of guys just like me? <laughs> so, I mean, obviously that that's probably why you've been so successful in your career. Um, I'm just curious, what are the these you know human elements that you think are quite common across uh, different cultures and that become drivers in any kind of business? Uh, I think so. That's a great question. And uh, over time, we host, uh, for example, we host a pretty good pretty strong batch of interns every quarter, uh, anywhere between three and four. And we think we get the best from all around the world. Our, our, our language, I think we've only had an American twice in three years. Um, it, we've learned to, to through this process, really to narrow in on what's sweating. Both makes us pretty good and, and makes uh, other folks good. I think, one, you got to take ownership of your deals. And this is something that the world opening up has taught, I believe, the West, uh, especially Americans, uh, probably UK and, and parts of Europe, but uh, in a very cold water bucket over the head way. You have to take ownership of what you're doing. Um, that, that's simply put, I don't care if you're uh, sweeping the floor or doing something that you believe is 
so beneath you as as, a, as an employee or an intern. You got to take ownership and do it the best you can. Period. The end. Um, second, I think you you have to uh, learn to do more than what you're asked always. Second, third level deep, we call it. Uh, whatever I ask, whatever our task is, whatever our thinking is, our guys do two or three levels deep beyond it, always, always. Yeah, sometimes it's a waste, but that process will end up always being in the long run over over, over the multitude of experiences that one, uh, one has. That will be the winning angle, doing more, thinking more, thinking one or two two levels more. Um, and um, probably I should have said first, uh, the most important one is good communication. Uh, what people don't realize is that whatever's in your head is not relevant. The way you communicate it is relevant. And so we communicate visually, uh, verbally, uh, on paper, and everything you're doing is communicating within the construct of that corporate action that the other side needs to both hear, understand, think through, and then act upon, all of which has the traditional human element to it. It has fear, right? Let, let's say the CEO doesn't understand what you're saying. Well, do you think they're going to admit that? No. So you failed already. So your job of distilling complex things into really bite-sized nuggets, which can be uh, absorbed and or thought through or manipulated in one's mind, the receiver. Same with written uh, Everything is all about the communication. It's critical. It's critical. Uh, some other things I think are quite helpful, uh, particularly with us, because you know we're always doing deals. Uh, credibility is, is critical uh, on everything one does. Credibility. You know they have to understand that, that the person you're speaking with, uh, that you are going to do the things that I just mentioned. That you're taking really ownership of this. You're not just some messenger. Uh, that you are actually communicating uh, the full extent of things. Uh, that you are in a process of, of cooperative solution, right? I mean, the, only the fools think that you can be smarter than the other guy and win uh, in a negotiation. That's foolish. It's completely foolish. Uh, the game of, of, of negotiation is not hiding something or sneaking something. Uh, it's just completely foolish. When I when I see people who, who actually – some people think that way. Actually, a lot of people think that way. Uh, good solutions are – are, are just matching up things people care less about and people care more about, right? Yeah. Nobody cares the same amount about everything. Nobody. Uh, but you don't find that by asking the question because, you know, clearly there's a dynamic that sort of prevents that. You find that by having incredible conversation, which is uh, not threatening. And then both think collectively about, okay, well, here's my pack of marbles that I can trade with, and here's yours, and here's things both of us have thought about before perhaps or here's things we can both hold hands and take some risk on or not i've said nothing about like learn your finance better you got to know your finance but that's not that hard you know again within my vernacular if you're on the trading floor trading a exotic piece of debt or derivative or something like that this this advice i'm sure it holds a bit but not not fully if you want to build businesses if you want to get into the minds of ceos or cxos uh, boards which are struggling with the day-to-day -day business challenges that they, that's what they have to do. They have to think through three to four every day. They don't get to make those decisions every day, but you know, over a couple of week time frame, that's sort of the decision-making cycle. That's just, that's some really great advice, Paul. Um, just to wrap up, I mean, I think that you've answered my question about uh, what do you look for when you hire people, which is obviously people who can uh, demonstrate all those qualities that you mentioned. But, you know, when 
myself or other MBAs are, are, are in a position of recruiting people. How do we find out or how do you figure out that someone across the table has these qualities that you know, s- s- persuade you to the, take them on as an intern or as a full-time hire? Um, we, we boil it down, frankly, into three things. Number one, we say you have to have intellectual rigor, right? which means that you have the stamina to think through all the angles and circle it five ways. From your perspective, from my perspective as a firm, from the client perspective, from an outside party perspective, Everybody who is going to touch this deal, you have to think through their perspective so that when you do your analysis, you do your thinking, you do your writing, you'll never see words in our team coming out with they're the leading XYZ. Well, leading according to whom? That's not intellectually rigorous. That's Wikipedia. Second, you got to have a positive attitude. Yes, I was flying around in a jet when I was 25 years old selling some cable systems. But guess what? I also learned to make coffee, right? There's nothing beneath you. Get rid of that. Positive attitude means you can make it through anything. You can solve any challenge. If you're positive about it, you have to be positive no matter what. Just kind of life lesson, but I can tell you in our world, it's kind of difficult because nothing's the same. I think the third is simple. It's flexibility. The, 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 normally you get, you get dinged or you don't get a second call back or, uh, or any further discussion from us when people ask, what's a typical day like? Because that clearly means you haven't listened to anything I've told you in the last 10 minutes. We don't have typical days. Flexibility. Whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want, and when CEO wakes up, has a bad day, needs to think through something, you better be flexible. You're ready to serve as an augmented shadow team whenever, however, wherever. That's, that's real life. Because okay, if you were the entrepreneur, that's what you would be doing, right? You don't get to pawn it off on anybody else. So I think that's what we look for, and we really make it firm people that we are not interested in hearing their views on how you know they're going to change somehow the mantra of that they're smarter or that you know they are willing to teach somebody else because they believe they have a better way. The point of our a format is to is to learn as a team. We also put everybody in the same room. One other thing we did, which is I think is brilliant, we used to have everybody in separate offices. We got rid of that. We created a big glass, what we call a bullpen. Uh, desks are right next to each other. People have about 30 inches. That's it. And we forced them to work together and solve problems together. Force them. And it is brilliant. And I think uh, the results speak for themselves. Our guys love it. And uncomfortable at the beginning, but they end up loving it. And uh, we, we, we couldn't be happier about that. Well, thank you very much, Paul. Just as uh, your guys love working together in the bullpen, uh, we, we loved having you on, on this podcast. Um, just to let people know that we'll, we'll have uh, more information about Paul's company, Isaac Capital, uh, on the website. So if you're interested to find out more about his company, more about the people working there, uh, you can go to our website and look for the link. Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks, Conrad. Take care.